Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated, and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. So welcome back to our session. We're doing this continuing session on well-being. We were talking about that last time and how this work life and our personal life, how it's all become blended and employees are expecting such a different experience now and expecting employers to help them with their overall well-being since it's all blended in time. And, and we talked about COVID really exacerbating that or bringing that to light even more. So again, uh, I'm at Bechtel and with me, Ron Bargazzi, Sam Maliver and Scott William, our normal crew here for Healthcare Happenings. And we're going to tackle um, these elements of well-being that have sort of permeated the workplace and demand some attention from employers and have some significant impact to the the overall performance and health of our workers. So um, we're going to jump into the first of the five, which is the one that is probably the easiest correlation to see from an employer, and that is my career well-being. So the question is, you know, what is career well-being? Well, basically, career is the purpose. You know, my purpose, I... um, what I do every day, I get to do things that I like to do. I get to do things that I'm good at. And my personal values align with the organization and where I'm spending all my time. Um, so it's interesting as we kind of uh, explore this career well-being, according to Gallup, the focus on this of the five elements, this career part, is probably the best opportunity for the biggest impact in the shortest time about over somebody's overall well-being. Why do you think why do you think career would be it over financial or physical? Well think about the time that you spend in your career. I mean you spend time at home and you spend time with the family, but a lot of that is sleep time. And then you mm-hmm. hopefully have some weekends and so forth. So you have a lot invested in it. And uh, I, I still think it permeates into your ability to enjoy what you're doing as opposed to be stressed by what you're doing. And then your ability not to bring that home when you do have time at home. So they so they all mince together. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that it's it's inseparable, right? So uh, if if you know, I always joke that I spend my waking hours at work, right? I, I spend my daylight hours, especially as we head into fall and daylight savings times, uh, that that my daylight hours are dedicated to my to my profession and my career, and um, and the question that I constantly ask myself is, does my career give me the ability to do the things outside of work that I I, I want to do in order to be fulfilled. Does it does it give me the ability to um, travel with my family? Does it give me the ability to take care of my son? Does it give me the ability uh, uh, to to enjoy um, enjoy certain aspects of life that you need money to enjoy? You know, does it does it does it afford me the ability to live my fullest life? And then also, if I'm going to be spending all that daylight time uh, with with my job, am I enjoying what I'm doing when I'm there? Am I am I feeling like I'm engaged? Am I feeling like I I, I have a purpose? 
Um, I can tell you based on previous careers, obviously I enjoy what I do. I've been with my company for you know, 10 years now. Uh, uh, but, uh, when I, the previous employers I had, I can tell you that the stress levels I felt about, uh, not feeling that fulfillment, the, the, uh, stress stressors I had over feeling like, you know, the, the, the compensation and the career path were not aligning with what my life goals were, um, led to physical mental manifestations that were, that were very detrimental to my overall sense of well being. Um, so it, it's completely melded together and separating the two are, 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 Oh, it's an impossibility. We spend too much time uh, uh, at work and, uh, and and finding that fulfillment is is essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like that statement of work to live or live to work, you know, so mm-hmm. like, uh, end are you on? So, yeah, I and, and totally. Um, one of my favorite and it maybe it think what both of you uh, were seeing. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Simon Sinek is that working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. Mm-hmm. Working hard for something we do care about is called passion, right? So, um, yeah, if, if you're not aligned, and you said it, Scott, if you're not aligned, then... So then what's interesting is we talk... Tough. Yeah, as we talk about this, we talk about uh, having a purpose, having a uh, meaning in your job, enjoying your job. So that's 50% of the equation. And and so I guess we'll get to a little while about being appreciated in your job and being recognized in your job for your contributions uh, has to come second. So it's a shared responsibility. I think companies sometimes feel like it's their total responsibility to make sure that an employee has uh, that. But there are a lot of people that are misplaced. I mean, you know, I have certain skill sets uh, and I have certain weaknesses. Although my spouse might say I have all weaknesses, I do have some things. <laughs> but you want to, you want to recognize those in your employees and you want to, you want to let them sort of scope their way on their strengths as opposed to having one size fits all. Yeah. Well, and and as you all know, I have a special predisposition to this whole strengths movement. Um, as a Gallup certified strengths coach, uh, you know, I've spent time really studying the, that phenomenon and the differences in individuals and teams when they get to be aligned and do things that they're great at compared to, okay, you need to check every box on this job description. Um, the reality is we, we write job descriptions, but they should just be an idea of the functions that the business needs or that the ideas of outcomes. But they can't be correlated to an exact person. There are no two people alike. So they have one job description and have multiple people filling that role and expect the same things is totally unrealistic. Um, you're never going to find it. You're never going to be satisfied. And you're not going to get to where you need to go. So um, understanding how to get this alignment you're talking about, Ron, is really the key. How do I figure out what people are great at. And if they have this ability to do what they're great at every day, that's where your difference in the passion versus the stress, right, comes into play. Because if I'm great at it, I feel good. We don't like things we're not good at. I mean, it's just as simple as that, right, isn't it? The best example that 
I've personally ever had is is when someone asked me to write a letter for them. It was going to the entire company. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it. And they said, well, that's not the way they would have written it. Well, I can't write <laughs> right. In other words, to have to guess how to do something you don't know how to do is really probably one of the most painful things that can exist. And that happens every day when we're trying to tell somebody to get good at math if they're not, you know, good at math and, and you know, build on their skills. Don't build on trying to improve weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, and the, the bottom line is that we can only marginally improve things we're not predis- predisposed to do well. We can marginally improve on them and they might help us to avoid failure a little bit, but they're not going to achieve success. Where we have special talents and gifts and investing that time is where we're really going to see that difference come to light to your point. Ron. And that's what creates this thriving, right? A thriving person is someone who gets to do what they do best every day. It's interesting. They said that um, when we're thinking about talents and people's roles, et cetera, um, in some of the Gallup polls, only 20% of employees strongly agree with the statement that I get to do what I do best every day at work. But 20, so that means 80% of people don't get to. So what does that mean for productivity and well-being overall and just their, you know, and um, thinking about the wave that we have, the, you know, of all the people who are leaving their employers and the great resignation as we're seeing of 2022, think about that. What does that impact? Yeah, I think, I mean, the news just broke in the past day or so that we've experienced the the largest number of resignations, um, people voluntarily leaving their jobs that we've ever seen since they started tracking that data. Uh, back to 2000, I believe, was the agency uh, tasked with uh, with tracking resignations. This is the, the highest number they've seen in voluntary resignations since uh, they began tracking this data, which, which, which would seem to indicate that people after a year and a half going on two years of having this disrupted life and seriously restricted life in many uh-huh. parts of the country that they're, they're, they may be asking the question, do I, do I have time to waste? Right. It might be a little heady and existential for our purposes on the podcast, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's a valid question and, and, and people are, you know, when you have such a, when you go through such an experience of, you know, having to stay home, having to avoid your friends and family, having to, you know, follow a bunch of new weird rules or not, you know, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, when you go through that experience, it, it does lead to those questions and it does lead to people taking an examination and an inventory on, and, and am I wasting time? Do I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I want to do with the time I have, uh, time I have, uh, living. So, um, I think yeah. that there's something to that when you see the number of people who are resigning. Well, let's yeah. discuss, let, let's talk a little bit about that phenomenon and and ask the theoretical question, what if a large portion of those people quitting, their skill sets don't fit their job, mm-hmm. and, and but they feel trapped or they feel stuck with it. And so, therefore, is that the management's responsibility to the individuals? I kind of believe that it's the management's responsibility. When you see somebody that doesn't fit and you're going to beat them to death trying to improve weaknesses that they're just not going to be able to improve. 
they're miserable, the performance suffers. And I think a lot of times people are reluctant to deal with those situations effectively. So this is a great, uh, that's actually a great observation. And so this is the difference in, you know, this, it it comes down to a leadership issue and it comes down to whether you're going to be a boss or you're going to be a coach. If you're going to be a boss, then yes, you're going to make everybody fit in a mold and do what they say, or, you know, it's my way or the highway kind of thing. And you're being paid to do X, right? That's one mindset. But if you're there to coach and develop somebody to do their best and to perform their best, then yeah, fit's going to be a huge thing. Where do they fit best? Where can they contribute the most? And, you know, when you look at it from an engagement standpoint, the whole first honeymoon of employees is all about, well, what do I get and what am I supposed to do, right? So, do I have tools to do my job? Do I understand what I'm supposed to do? Um, Are the expectations clear? Um, have I learned what I need to do to actually functionally do my job, right? But when that honeymoon is over, now it's all about me as an, as an individual contributor. Can I, can I make a significant contribution based on what I'm, I, I can do, my gifts, my talents? The answer is no, I don't stay, right? Um, and if nobody's helping me figure that out, I really don't stay. Like it, so, a lot of it, right, Ron, is that manager, and only once you pass that whole individual contributor can I actually become a team contributor and worry about the greater good of all. I mean, I don't even get to that point if I haven't moved past me as the individual contributor and figure my fit. You know, yeah. So that's that's those are great observations. I was looking at um, burnout. That's a huge issue. You know, you talked about stresses, Scott, earlier, and I kind of want to go back to that a little bit um, because it's really interesting. In 2019, the World Health Organization actually declared burnout as an occupational phenomenon in in its global standard for diagnostic health information. So, it is a true health thing, right, that the employers now really need to be focused on. Um, And in the Gallup studies recently, they're saying 76% of employees experience burnout on the job at least sometimes. So, that's a huge number of people. So, um, Ryan, I think we were talking about burnout earlier, just to give everybody a definition. So, the World Health Organization defines burnout as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed and describes three dimensions of employee burnout, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job reduced or reduced professional efficacy. So, I mean, those are pretty weighty things, right? Um, so, what, what are the impacts we see of people who are, who suffer this burnout as we, we talk about it? You know, I have sort of a simple thought uh, parallel to that. And so, in the automotive industry, a burnout is when you spin your tires and it, re- it wears the tread down quickly. And it, oh, gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah so great analogy. The, yeah, the life of the tires shortened dramatically. <laughs> I, yep, I, and so there it is, right? Yeah, I think that this um I think that the 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 challenge that is not going to disappear 
anytime soon is, is when do people get to shut down? When do they get to step away from work? Um, you know, I was talking to my wife the other night that I, I want a smart, I don't want a smartphone anymore. I am so tired of smartphones. I'm so tired of how big a role they play in work. I'm so tired of how big a role they play in communicating generally. Um, I miss old flip phone. Right. I miss my old trusty uh, brick of a cell phone that I used to carry around 15 years ago. Right. So I, I think that the, the, the challenge of, of this new world for a lot of individuals is there is no off switch. And uh-huh. even if you even if you're doing something that you feel good about and that you feel uh, passionate about, as we all do, uh, you know, the individuals who are on on this podcast, um, there is a point where you need to step away, where you have to be able to turn off, where it's not reasonable to um, to expect people to respond to you or you have, there's a, there's an awareness that people aren't just sitting around waiting for you to reach out to them. Right. <laughs> or, or vice versa. Um, so when I think about this, when I think about companies, thinking about the types of policies that they implement to protect against burning somebody out who is very good. And even if they're doing what they're good at and they're spending their days, there is a threshold that everyone meets where, um, where it can be too much. I, you know, I remember, I remember back at the, in the early days of the pandemic, the first month of being a compliance consultant was very, very, very hectic. And I, and that just gave me uh, the bug eyed look because she remembers what it was like. Sam remembers what it was like. Ron remembers what it was like where we were yeah. sitting on zoom calls for, you know, 10 hours a day, we were having to constantly digest regulations and and legislation and changes and and handle questions from every single client all at the same time, because for the first time, everybody was dealing with this, right? Right. All at once, all at the same time. And And I remember feeling that this is not sustainable. And I remember having conversations about feeling like this was not sustainable. And I love what I do. And reading regulations and reading legislation is a is a piece of what we do and a piece of what we do well. But that was an example of of, of a time in, in recent memory where it was very challenging to walk away and the line of burnout, we were flirting with it. And One yeah. Digital took steps to promote walking away, to implement policies that made it easier to walk away and to shut down and make sure you spend time with your family and take care of yourself and all that stuff. But I just remember that. And I, I, I imagine that there are many employees out there right now who feel like they might be in that type of situation where it's very difficult to shut down and, 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 and take a step back. Uh, yeah. And Annette's encouragement to be a coach as opposed to just dictate things. I've got an old rotary phone that I will send you today. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would love it. I would love Does it. Does it have the extra, really extra long cord too, Ron? Because yeah. I remember yeah. like growing up, we had um, Not two rotary phones, one in my parents' room, which we weren't allowed to use, and then one in the kitchen with an extra long cord that you could go into the broom closet for privacy. There you go. <laughs> that was it. Right. So, the only thing with those, you yeah. can't screen your calls. And I'm very much a millennial of screening my calls. So. Well, the reality was there weren't that many people who called you. Like uh, your phone didn't ring off the hook. That's not how people sold things then. I mean, life was different, right? Um, the other thing too was you had everyone on the phone in the house using one telephone number, right? So like you had to share and, um, and in other circumstances and, and communities, you were sharing 
a phone number with other people, another family, you had party lines. I mean, it was, it was so different than now. But to your point, Scott, that communication and that social piece, which we'll get into the social well-being too, because that has had significant yeah. components as well. I've got some really interesting statistics on these burnout. The, so employee burnout undermines health and productivity. So here's, try these on. 63% more people who, uh, let me start over, employees who say that they're often or always experiencing burnout, they're 63% more likely to take a sick day. They are half as likely to discuss how to approach performance goals with their manager. They're 23% more likely to visit the ER. They're 2.6 times as likely to be actively seeking a different job. So back to the, what we were talking about, and 13% less confident in their own performance. So think about that when you paint the picture of that employee, right? That's pretty significant. Um, there was this study too. I want to throw this as one other component in there. So uh, in a large scale review of publicly available data, the management science uh that was published in Management Science, it found that U.S. companies with high workplace stressors may contribute to more than 120,000 deaths per year and approximately 5 to 8% of the annual health care costs. No, no doubt. Everybody's I, 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 <laughs> shaking their head. Oh. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, it seems it makes sense to me. Right. You can you anybody who's had a job that isn't terribly fulfilling and that that is long hours and, and, and grinding can easily see how that can lead to negative health consequences. Right. That, yeah. that, it, that it can lead to risky behaviors. It can lead, lead to neglecting, you know, diet and exercise. It can lead to losing con- connectivity with with friends and family. And all of those are major social determinants of health uh, of, of health outcomes that are majorly predictive is why they say uh, aside from early education. And, you know, K through 12, the the building blocks that you have in those years, the family support, the neighborhood you grow up in. Once you get past that stage, the the number one predictor of future health outcomes is your are your earnings, uh, which are a reflection of your career. And then and then also embedded in that is your is your is your career satisfaction and, and, and what you're experiencing on the job site. So if you add all those things up and you think about the economic consequences of an employee not being engaged, whether it's medical, whether it's presenteeism, whether it's, I mean, my take is once I'm looking for a job, I've sort of decided I don't need to worry about the one I'm in. Then, mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're tight. Yeah. So, so it's an important, you know, I didn't invest in that. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people are looking for ways to improve efficiency and their performance. And that may be one of the best ways to get more out of the organization is to really dig in and try to figure out how to uh, address those issues you just reviewed. Ron, I think- Yeah, so, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think think to a large extent, you know, Annette and I have had this conversation offline a bunch of times, but I think to a large extent, the, 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 the first action step a company should consider is having a process for determining a what what type of candidate am I looking for? What what internal wiring should I be looking for um, to make sure that 
the interview isn't all you're basing your decision off of, right? And there are a lot of people who can interview for positions that they're not internally wired to do and might seem like the perfect fit. And then they get in, you realize, wow, this doesn't play to any of their strengths. They seem really uncomfortable in this. And that's just a recipe for disaster on, on so many fronts, but from the company perspective that the, the, that employee is not going to work out and it's going to be, a, it's going to have a significant financial impact on the company. And then from the employee's perspective, it's a recipe for stress. It's a recipe for all of those negative social determinants of health, that uh, health and well-being that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. So, so making sure that you think about how am I, how am I objectively going to look beyond just the interview to yeah. see if I'm bringing somebody in, whether it's through personality profiling or yeah. Or some other means to 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 cut through that that subjectivity of the interview. Yeah. And what's interesting, yeah. we we keep this balance. We we th- so that's fifty percent of the equation getting the right person. And then my anecdotal experience dealing with clients is those that are most successful allow employees to fail. And, they allow, and I'm sorry, say that again. They allow employees to fail. In other words, uh, yeah. there's a culture of what we care about is succeeding 75% of the time. Failures can be tolerated. And I've seen cultures where people are so afraid to fail, they don't try anything. Yeah. And so that's a shame. Like, think about the innovation you lose, the creativity you lose, because that person wasn't able to bring what they're what's great and and something new and a different way of looking at things. So, yeah. And, you know, as we kind of think um, about some of the tips, like, uh, you know, Scott, you started down this path, you know, look deeper when you're interviewing, what are you, what talents are you looking for? Not just experience, not, but what, what does somebody who's successful in this role look like? Like what, what would they be doing? And does this person even have the desire for that or to do those things? What do they gravitate toward? You know, what do they love to do? Those should be the questions you're asking. You know, what do you love to do? Where do you spend your time? How do you, you know, what drives you? What motivates you? What, what are those things? Because those gives you glimpses into what the person, again, people will, the things they love are things that they're good at. Right. That that just becomes a normal piece of it. But what else, what else should employers or could employers be looking at to either reduce this burnout or avoid that and, and have a, a better workplace where people are feeling a better contribution? Any other ideas? You know, a, a simple thing uh, you mentioned it, Scott. You're talking about your your smartphone and it blowing up. And I don't think it's phone calls. So see, at least not for me. It's emails. And. And I wonder how many emails I copy everybody on that doesn't need to go to them. And <laughs> they've got to process it anyway, right? Just to see. So I, I, I think we overuse some of this technology. That's, well, that's think, great. Yeah. Think, think about the absurdity when you're dealing with your friends, right? And your friends, you know, Sam, I'm sure you've probably had this experience before where you get a text message from a friend and you're not ready to reply yet, right? You're doing something, you're driving. And the, the when you reply, when you're ready to reply and you have the time to reply, it's caused some type of strife in the relationship because your reply time was not 
acceptable to the person who's, who ingratiated themselves into your life, sending the text message in the first place. That's an absurd structure that we've set up for ourselves, right? Where at any time, at any time, someone can swoop into your life and, and put you on their clock to interact with them, right? Which is historically something that we've never really had to deal with ever before in human history. Uh, now, that's an interpersonal friendship the example, but emails are similar, right? Emails are emails are come in agnostic to what you're working on, what you're what you're thinking about, and run. Yeah, I mean, email email fatigue and 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 receiving emails that are urgent on somebody else's schedule that are not reflective of what the reality of your schedule is is a, is a recipe for burnout. So, um, you know, I want to go back to the rotary phone, Ron. This conversation and Scott makes me long for the days when you got a busy signal. (laughs) You couldn't even talk to anybody. You can't leave a message. There was no messages. You had to wait. What? Waiting? What is waiting? (laughs) Like there was... But it was that that reminder that, wait a second, somebody has other things to do. It's not all about you. You know what I mean? So, and you had to learn to be patient. Yeah. I even go back further than that and remember the days where I watched my grandmother listening to the party line and listening to the conversations of other individuals. somebody else's. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know. That was the first, that was like the precursor to reality TV, right? (laughs) Like listening on somebody else's life. Um, the, uh, I think a couple of other things, um, and try these too for employers. And I want to, you should think about in your workplace, because these are contributors, things that could be stressors or places that you would have control to alleviate unfair treatment at work, real or perceived. That's going to be a huge thing, right? So a lot of that comes down to leadership, management, how are you, you know, and it's interesting in the teams that I work with where everyone knows everyone's talents on the team, you know, I know that like relationships is a thing for Samantha and that Ron is phenomenally gifted in strategic and analytic thinking. Well, when something comes up our project, everybody agrees who's the right person to do that. There's no feelings of, well, I never get picked or that person's a favorite or what, because everyone understands what everybody else is good at. And together we do better. So let's, no, I should not be involved in like, (laughs) I always tease, like if we have to carefully weigh a thousand things and analyze everything, like I need to be out of the equation. Because and somebody else needs to do all that because they'll do a much better job than I will because I won't have the patience for it. And I know that, right? So that's a those are critical things, right? Yeah. And so if I had I'd probably do a lot of things, but one thing that I think is very critical if you're gonna be in a leadership role is to make sure you're judging the demand and the capacity. Because I can take somebody that loves what they do and and let, let's take Sam on the compliance end. She's got so many hours a day. And if the demand exceeds the capacity and then I turn around and hold her accountable for not being timely in her responses, that's going to make sure that she's displeased with a job that she may like. Yeah, I love it, Ron. That is actually number two. 
unmanageable workloads for sure. I yeah. head, like, burnout isn't just solely due to stress. It's really kind of that stress and lack of kind of support systems. Like how do you help someone? What you know, solutions can they go to to help manage that stress? It's when we don't have that, that's when we actually have burnout. Yeah, that's great. That is actually another one of the top uh, pieces that they'll tell you is that management support. Like, do I have support from my manager? Do they understand? Are they trying to like block for me? <laughs> you know, because I've got a whole bunch of stuff. And that is a huge piece for sure. That ends communication. Mm-hmm. You know, being silent and not talking about it doesn't make it go away. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't make it better, right? Um, the last thing I think comes back to Scott, what you were saying about time pressures, but this unreasonable time pressures that we're placing on people and unreasonable expectations and why. Like, it's very funny. I, I sit back and think a lot, uh, why is this urgent? Like, this is not an urgent thing. Um, but we've created this false sense of urgency for everything. But if everything's urgent, nothing's urgent, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, so I'm not sure what we're doing. But uh, could that be one of the things where people are like, oh, well, I'm, I fail. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, can't, I can't, you know. Yeah, and there's something to be said to like constantly failing. It's going to kind of like internalize and be like, I'm terrible. I'm, you know, I'm never going to do well. I'm constantly never hitting these artificial deadlines that someone set for me. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. That feeling of futility for sure. So I think in, in kind of closing this particular, there are things within a manager's control within a, a business's control to help create a better environment, align people correctly their talents to what you're asking them to do and don't prescribe how they should do something. Just give them clear expectations and let them do it in the manner in which they're most gifted to do it. You'll, you'll, they'll find ways that you had no idea because that's not how you are wired. Right. But you'll get much better. And so I think the secret really is to kind of equip and empower different people to, by embracing who they are, and what they do. So you've got to you got to put those two pieces together. And I think that's really what leaders have to do. And um, and then just talk to people. I think that's what sort of boils down to today. But that'll give us much better outcomes on this career and helping them find their their place and making sure it aligns correctly. So I think we're on that. That's a big piece. Any other final thoughts? Yeah, th- there's there's a lot here, Annette, and um, and. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's 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 an important conversation that uh, that we should probably continue, and we should probably dig into in in, in upcoming podcasts in even greater depth because um, I'm sure those who are listening would be interested in specific strategies of managers and and uh, that, you know what what should managers be looking for. Um, right. But but this is so important. I mean, this is this is really an, an important topic. So that's what I'll say in, in, in closing on my end. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, this was a good start. Um, definitely a, a more complicated, different time for employers and a lot of things to be thinking about in this new age. Um, not a temporary thing. I think this is the jumping off point from how the workforce looks different, how it becomes different moving forward, and how the role of the employer is, is changing it to uh to align with that. So thanks everybody for your time. And um, we will talk to you next time and continue this conversation on well-being.
And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.